Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. everyone, this is Natasha Moffitt-Hemmer, 4-H and Master Gardener Coordinator for WSU Extension in Okanagan County. Welcome back to Coog's Talks Dog Podcast with WSU Extension. Today is a unique episode for us as we have two guests on, both from the WSDA, Washington State Department of Agriculture, to give us a rundown about the health and identification regulations for buying and selling livestock in Washington State. Please welcome Amber Idle, uh, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine and Assistant Washington State Veterinarian, and Robbie Park, Program Manager for the Washington State Department of Agriculture Livestock Inspection Program. Let's go ahead and start out with having you both tell us a little bit about yourselves and your positions with the WSDA. I'll have Amber go first. Thanks, Natasha. I just want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be part of this podcast today. It's just we're super excited to be able to connect with all those listeners out there today and let them know what we do at the state vet's office. So for me, I grew up on my family's fourth generation producer handler dairy farm in Pennsylvania. So ag's always been a part of my life. And I joined the veterinary profession with my sister and my dad, who are both veterinarians in Pennsylvania now. And I worked in large animal practice for about 10 years before joining WSDA as a field veterinarian. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to become the assistant state veterinarian, where I now partner with our state veterinarian, Dr. Brian Joseph, in my day-to-day work for the Department of Ag. But I do want to mention that at WSDA and the state vet's office, we have an incredible team of veterinarians and administrative staff that work in the animal health program, the avian health program, and coordinate the reserve vet corps. Our job is first to prevent disease from coming into Washington State through surveillance and regulation. But if a disease does get here, then our role is to quickly identify, contain, and eradicate that disease. Our mission is to protect animal health and welfare, promote economic vitality, and safeguard public health. Our field veterinarians have specialized foreign animal disease diagnostician training in order to support private practitioners with unusual cases. Ones that maybe where there's a lot of sick animals or a lot of animals that die from a disease or any kind of like new or emerging diseases, things we haven't seen before, or diseases with zoonotic potential that can pass from animals to humans or vice versa. And we also have a very progressive animal disease traceability program that is leading the country in projects to help trace individual animal movement during a disease outbreak. We could do a whole program on the exciting work that the state vet office does, but I'll turn it over to Robbie. I definitely plan to have you on again and listen to a little bit more about what you guys do because I am fascinated by all of the work you guys cover here. But I appreciate you holding that off for another time. Robbie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me, Natasha. Uh, It's great to be on your program today. And uh, I echo uh, Dr. Idle's comments about, you know, the efforts we're taking here at the Washington State Department of Agriculture for the livestock industry here in the state. So I've been with the department for a little over four years. Um, I grew up in a ranching family in western South Dakota. Uh, And then after college, I joined the the Army, and I spent uh, 20 years active duty military uh, going to all parts of the world, uh, various parts unknown. And then after I retired in uh, 2014 here at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, 
I finally figured out what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, now I've been with the Department of Agriculture now for four years. So I'm happy to be here. Um, I do have a ranching and farming background, and I, I love what I do here at the program. That's great. Well, we're lucky to have you. And thank you both for coming to today's episode and covering this topic that impacts both youth and adult livestock producers, uh, producers who've been doing it forever, producers who are new, people who are looking to get into the livestock uh, raising. So I really appreciate you covering this important topic. We're going to go ahead and get started with our first question. So Amber, this one's for you. With more people interested in raising their own livestock for meat in the last year, what should people who want to start raising their own animals be thinking about? Yeah, great question, Natasha. I think many people remember seeing images of swine or pigs in the Midwest that were being diverted away from the COVID-19 disruptions in the supply chain. And a lot of those pigs started to come into our state. And there was a huge desire for people to get those pigs because they were thinking about food security. They were seeing these empty grocery shelves and they were thinking, boy, maybe I could raise my own pigs. So this has kind of been a trend that we've seen in the last year here in Washington. And so I guess the best advice I would have is to carefully plan and do your research before you decide what species of animal you want to raise and be thinking about all the different things that you're going to need to be able to do that correctly. You want to talk to other small farmers, people who are like you that are in niche markets or maybe do urban farming. You want to talk to your veterinarian. And especially WSU Extension agents are great resources to help you develop a comprehensive plan, not just for the business side of it, but also as animal husbandry things that you need to think about. You want to really carefully consider what type of animal do you want to raise? What resources do you need? What landmass will you need to do it? And what do you plan to do with it as far as getting it processed? We know that in Washington, there's a lot of small processors that have backed up to be able to harvest animals for almost a year. So be thinking about how are you going to harvest it? When are you going to harvest it? Um, a lack of adequate planning can lead to a really bad experience for people and animals alike, you know, resulting in threats to you know, your own safety, you know, food safety and handling. Um, and also animal welfare concerns are issues that maybe we hadn't thought about before. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen that bottleneck in the meat industry show up in this last year. So it's an important thing for people who are interested in getting into the business to take into consideration because those of us who have been doing it are experiencing the backups as well. So that's a, a good thought process and being prepared is definitely important. WSU has some great resources. So I appreciate you pointing them towards our extension offices. Where do you think is the best place for people to source their animals from? Well, I think that sourcing your animals is probably the most important thing that you can think about. So when you get that original group of animals, it's critical to determine your long-term success. When you bring in an animal, you also bring in all the diseases that is within that animal. <laughs> and so whether you're looking to raise animals for meat or breeding or companionship, you really want to be cautious about where you source or purchase those animals, especially if you're doing it maybe at a public livestock market um, an, or online source, you know, Craigslist, or maybe somebody's posting something on Facebook, you don't really know what you're getting there. These are potential sources of contagious disease. So if you choose to go this route, the minimum you want to do is quarantine those animals and your farm for at least 30 days. And that means you're going to isolate them away from any other animals on that farm before introducing them to the rest of your herd or your flock. And I would really recommend that you consult with a veterinarian about what vaccinations to administer. 
what types of diseases those animals are at risk for, and how you can best manage those diseases. So when you buy an animal, you're also getting its viruses, its bacteria, and its parasites. So purchasing animals carrying certain diseases, even if they look healthy, can spread diseases to other animals and contaminate an entire premises with that disease-causing agents that can you know, sometimes persist in the environment for 10, 15 years. So keep that in mind. When you bring an animal in, you're bringing in diseases, you're bringing in pathogens, and they may be there to stay, and they may be hard to manage your way out of. So it's just a critical step. Yeah, that biosecurity piece is really important because you don't want to have to shut down your production for a decade trying to fight that disease that you can't get out of the soil. So that's a really good point to look at. So if people want to purchase an animal from out of state, how do they go about doing that? What are the animal health requirements that we have? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people don't even realize that every state does have animal health requirements. I mean, whether you're purchasing an animal in state or across state lines, the best way to determine if an animal is healthy is to have a veterinarian examine that animal who can recommend specific diagnostic tests and make vaccine recommendations for that species. Um, So when we have intrastate movement or intrastate sales or sales within our state, a lot of those regulations don't kick in. But as soon as animals are purchased or moved across state lines, we do have specific animal health requirements. And one of those is to get a certificate of veterinary inspection. Some people know it as a health certificate. So a private sector veterinarian, an accredited veterinarian, will certify that that animal is free of any clinical, contagious, or infectious disease, at least on the day that they see it. And then it also provides us the ability to trace those animals when they cross state lines. So we know where they went and where they came from. So depending on the species, there may be additional health tests or requirements or vaccines, depending on the species. Uh, So for example, uh, all cattle that come into Washington state are required to be brucellosis vaccinated. Um, And dairy cattle are required to be tested for tuberculosis. So those are just some examples. And often the tests are related to diseases that have zoonotic potential. So diseases that humans can get to. So that's a lot of the reasons we have those regulations. Or it might be a disease that doesn't currently exist in Washington and we're trying to keep out. So we might require a test that we don't want in um, in our state because it threatens our industry. We have enough diseases to deal with. We have plenty of endemic diseases and we don't want any new ones. Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to protect the producers within our own state. So that makes a lot of sense. If someone is trying to find these very specific animal health requirements, where and how could someone find those? Yeah, so each state has different animal health requirements and that's super confusing. It's confusing for producers, it's confusing for veterinarians. Um, And especially if you're going out of state to different fairs and exhibitions or you're going out to a sale, maybe in another state, there are specific requirements for each state and they're all a little bit different. But there's a great website. It's called www.interstatelivestock.com. That's I-N-T-E-R because it's inter between states, livestock.com, where you can look up the requirement by species from the state of origin to the state of destination. They have all the different species in there. You can put in your species and it'll tell you specifically what you're required to have. Most species are required to at least have a certificate of veterinary inspection, but some are also required to get permit numbers or they may be required to have brand inspection or they may be required to have certain tests or vaccinations done. So for example, cattle and horses will also require a brand inspection. 
That makes sense. We will make sure to post that link on the page with our podcast so everyone can see that website for you. Speaking of brand inspection, Robbie, will you tell us a little bit about what the WSDA Livestock Inspection Program is? Natasha, that is a great question, and I'd be happy to talk about the program. So we are actually a fairly small program within the Department of Agriculture. Uh, but we are actually one of the oldest. We've been doing brand inspections here in Washington State since the early 1930s. Uh, we are right now currently part of the Animal Services Division, and we work really closely with uh, the Animal Health Program, the Animal Disease Traceability Program, and we also have a compliance program here within the uh, Animal Services Division. So I said we were small. We only really have 19 employees. We have 15 brand inspectors spread throughout the, uh, the state. And then we have four staff, including myself here at Olympia. So in addition to those uh, WSDA brand inspectors, we also have over 100 veterinarians and private field livestock inspectors who are certified to uh, issue inspection certificates on behalf of the director. And they are spread out across the state among six different regions. Our mission is to provide asset protection to the livestock industry. And we do this by inspecting cattle and horses for brands or other proof of ownership. And because we are doing those inspections, uh, they deter theft and deny an outlet for stolen livestock. So if the customer base and the industry knows that we are actually conducting those inspections, that actually serves as an excellent deterrence for theft and it uh, provides a protection of assets for the livestock industry. In addition, those inspection correct records that we create, they provide critical information to the animal disease traceability program because uh, we can tell them you know, who the owner of the animal was, where they originated from, and then tell them who the buyer of the animal is, and then the destination of those animals. So that our records actually provide support to the animal disease traceability program at a group level, uh, not necessarily individual animal level, but we can provide um, animal group movement information. In addition to all those things, our program also registers all of the livestock brands in the state. We have about uh, 5,500 brands currently recorded in Washington state. And we also license the public livestock markets and the certified feedlots within the state. So you guys only do a couple of things, <laughs> not yeah. not a million. <laughs> I know that there's a lot to manage there just with how many livestock brands are registered. My husband and I just recently registered ours and it just shocked me how many we have in the state of Washington. So I'm really impressed by everything that you guys do. And my next question for you is, is branding required in Washington state? So interestingly enough, uh, branding Branding your animals is not required in Washington. However, a brand inspection is required in Washington. And, and the reason why it is required is, you know, our industry expects us to provide an asset protection program. And we have to look at all cattle, whether they are branded or not. And the reason why we have to look at unbranded cattle, we have to make sure that there are, in fact, no branded cattle in the group you're trying to sell. If, if we were to find branded cattle, and you did not actually own that brand, then we would require you to provide us proof of ownership documentation before you're allowed to sell them. So yeah, brands are not required. You're not required to brand your animals, but you are required to get a brand inspection. 
That makes sense. So even with some of the new identification methods like RFID tags, you still have to get that brand inspection to make sure that there's no cattle out of place. Correct. Yeah, that's a great point. So if branding is not required, why should livestock producers brand their livestock? So I like to I like to say that think of it as an insurance policy and also think of a brand as a return address label on your cow. So if your branded animals were ever stolen or went missing, which they often do, you know, they jump fences and get out all the time and they're wandering down the roads and, you know, we're trying to find out whose animals these are. Uh, if your animal is branded with your recorded brand, we can quickly and easily determine who owns them and then we can get them back to the rightful owner. So conversely, if an animal is not branded, it's nearly impossible to determine ownership on that animal. You know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of cows, you know, that all look exactly alike. Um, and if they're not branded, we don't know who they belong to. Just like if you were sending a piece of mail without a return address, you exactly. wouldn't know who it came yeah. from. That makes a lot of sense. I also love that analogy because it makes me picture a cow being shipped in the U.S. Postal Service. And that makes me giggle a little, but I think it's a really great way to look at it. It's It makes sure we don't lose our cattle. It's much easier to find them when they get out, which they always do. Yes. <laughs> so why do I need a brand inspection? So a brand inspection, the certificate that we provide, that actually establishes legal title for the animals, and that cannot be challenged. So when you own a registered brand and brand your animals, uh, the healed brand of record on that animal uh, is your ev legal evidence of title. But when you sell that animal to another party, obviously the brand doesn't change, you know, but the new owner changes. So we issue a brand certificate to the new owner and that piece of paper becomes their title of legal ownership of that animal with your brand on it. And so that that's, just helps. That's why so we need to have a brand inspection. That makes sense. It just helps sort out who should be owning these animals and who shouldn't. Make sure that there's no cattle wrestling going on. Exactly. So when is brand inspection required? I know we've talked a little bit about when we the animal changes ownership, but I know there's other instances as well. So what... When in time do we need to get our cattle or livestock brand inspected? Yeah, so there's actually cattle and horse requirements are a little bit different, and I'll, and I'll cover both of them. So starting off first with cattle, there are actually five points in time uh, in Washington State when a brand inspection is required. The first, like we talked about, is any time an animal changes ownership. And this could include any kind of private treaty sale um, or gifting, or bartering, etc. So if the animal changes ownership, then a brand inspection is required. The second one is anytime an animal leaves the state. And the reason why we do that is, you know, if you have animals that are moving to another state, say Idaho or, or, or Oregon, for example, the brand inspection certificate that we give you, that establishes your legal ownership of the animals when you're in another state because the brand on the animals may also be registered in that other state uh, to someone completely different. So that's why it's important when you're moving your animals out of state, you get a brand inspection done and you have that certificate of legal ownership that you, you can show the new state. The third is anytime the animals are consigned to a public livestock market. You know, think of a public livestock market, those animals are obviously going to change ownership. 
So anytime they're consigned to a market, we, we require a brand inspection. Fourth is anytime the cattle enter or re-enter a certified feedlot. So we have 11 certified feedlots here within Washington state. So these are the large cattle feeder operations. And we have a statute in place that, you know, those certified feedlots, when the animals come into those certified feedlots, a brand inspection is required. And finally, the last one is anytime the animals are delivered to USDA inspected slaughter facility, uh, a brand inspection is required. I do want to point out, though, there are there are several exceptions to the slaughter facility inspection requirement. One of them is if the cattle originate from a certified feedlot, then we do not require a brand inspection because we did the brand inspection when the animals entered the feedlot. And then we are, you know, the feedlot is transferring those animals to the slaughter facility. So we don't require a second inspection in that instance. And then the, the other exception for uh, slaughter plants are if the animals are accompanied by an inspection certificate, we call that pre-inspected. So if they arrive from another state, you know, or if they are inspected in the field and then they arrive at the slaughter facility, we obviously don't require another inspection at that point. So then horse requirements are a little bit different. For horses, anytime horses leave the state and an inspection is required, same as cattle. Second, anytime they're consigned to a public livestock market or an open consignment horse sale or a special sale, uh, then we require a bred inspection. It's important to point out that horse inspections for private treaty sales, uh, they're not required in Washington state. So that's one difference between cattle and horses. You know, if you own a horse and you want to sell it to your neighbor, then a brand inspection is not required. Uh, but however, we do recommend them. So that's one difference between cattle and horses. That's all really good information because some of those points I wouldn't have even thought of. I just always think of when I sell my animal, that's when I need to get the inspection. So it's good to know the other times that we also need to think about getting a brand inspection. And with 15 brand inspectors spread throughout the state. It's important to plan ahead for that. So uh, in addition, and this one's for Amber, in addition to brand inspection, are there also animal health requirements at the change of ownership for sales within Washington state? Yeah, I think this is a point of confusion for people again. So earlier we talked about how there's rules and requirements for animals when they move across state lines. And then there's different requirements for animals that are sold within the state. So from a Washington owner to a, uh, to a Washington buyer, for example. There aren't as many requirements for that intrastate ownership change, but we do have some for certain classes of livestock. And you can find our requirements for each species on our WSDA Animal Health website, which we'll list it maybe at the end of this show. But some examples would be that all female cattle must be vaccinated for brucellosis and have an official ID at change of ownership. All bulls greater than 18 months of age must be tested for trichomoniasis. That's a venereal disease of bulls, and they have to have official ID. So, so some of these diseases come from, or these rules come from industry wanting us to regulate certain diseases because they have such a big economic impact on them. So that would be an example of one of those rules. We also have a federal rule for sheep and goats, and they must have official identification. Some folks know about the Scrapey program, but any, any sheep or goat that changes ownership has to have an official identification that's approved by USDA. Also, swine, for example, any swine that are sold through a public livestock market also must have official identification. Again, a lot of this is for animal disease traceability purposes. 
Anytime we move animals across state lines, we're going to be seeing a lot of those same requirements for official ID so that we can quickly trace individual animals and contain disease. That makes sense. And just to clarify for listeners who might not know what brucellosis is, that's commonly referred to as the Bangs vaccine, correct? Yeah, brucellosis at one time was a really important zoonotic disease because people could contract that from uh, birthing, um, you know, handling uh, aborted cattle, calves, handling um, um, placentas, any kind of birthing fluids, drinking raw milk. Um, But that eradication program has been largely successful. So we've had an eradication program in place for about 50 years, and we don't see brucellosis come up as much anymore. However, there are reservoirs that still exist in certain places in wildlife, and so we still do require that. For example, there's a, a pocket of elk in Idaho that still come up with brucellosis. And because we have animals moving between our states, we still have that regulation in place to protect our cattle industry. Um, hopefully that helps clear it up a little. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense, especially for the elk, since we know a lot of them hang out around cattle, stealing the hay that we tend to feed our herds. So that makes sense that we're, even though it's pretty much eradicated, we're still making sure to be vigilant about that vaccine. So you mentioned official identification. What do you mean by this? And why is official identification important? Yeah, so as as Robbie mentioned, we do work together with the Animal Disease Traceability Program and the BRAM program, but we are pretty, we're different programs in a way. We complement each other, but we're different. The BRAM program is more of an asset protection program that identifies groups of animals with a registered brand. So you could have 100 black heifers that have the same brand. With the Animal Disease Traceability Program, we're looking more for individual ID, so a unique identifier on each animal so that we can trace that specific individual animal through time. Um, So with the brand program, we can have a lot of animals with the same identification, but for official identification, which is defined by USDA, is used for tracing individual diseased animals. So in Washington, we're working on building an infrastructure to promote this idea of birth to slaughter or bookend system that allows individual animals or at-risk animals to be traced or tracked to a place and point in time throughout their life. Uh, Animal disease traceability is based on that individual identification being recorded at the birth premises, at commingling, so maybe at a market or maybe at um, an, an exhibition or places where animals come together, and then also at change of ownership and harvest. So we're also collecting all of that ID numbers at harvest so that we know when those animals are no longer a risk to the general population. So the ability to trace an individual as opposed to a group of animals allows for fewer farms to face quarantine in the face of a disease event and secures continuity of business. So again, it is kind of like liability. I know Robbie mentioned that on the brand side as far as asset protection. I would mention it on the animal disease traceability side because what we're trying to do is get the fewest number of animals under quarantine. So if they all have an individual ID and we can trace that one animal to one farm instead of tracing a group of animals back we can sometimes reduce the number of animals that are under quarantine and we can kind of not affect the economy or the the economic impact for those producers that may or may not be affected. 
Yeah, that would be a big deal if we didn't know exactly what animal had the illness or disease and we then had to shut down production on multiple farms and ranches. That would be a huge economic loss to a lot of people. So it makes sense that that individual identification needs to be done. And I just want to clarify, when you're talking about official identification, examples of that would be like ID tag numbers or RFID tags and things like that. So they have to be approved by USDA, but one example would be an 840 prefix on an RFID tag. That's official, okay? Um, because it requires us to associate that number with a premises. So we kind of we don't know who has what animal or whatever, but we do associate certain IDs with premises out there. We don't know when you put them in or how long they're in there, and we can't. We don't know all of that. We don't know how many cows people have or whatever. But the official ID is recorded so that during an outbreak, we can find those animals. We can, we can go there and we can try to localize them. So for example, with uh, sheep and goats, it would be a scrapey tag. With cattle, it would be an 840 RFID tag or a silver clip tag. You know, what has the 9-1 in the beginning, that means Washington. Um, there's other forms of official ID depending on the species, but that's kind of how that rules. The one thing I did want to mention is, is for an, a great example of this, it was in South Dakota, I believe it was about a year, year and a half ago now, they had a black steer that went to slaughter and ended up coming up positive for tuberculosis. And what happened is, is that animal was branded, but the hide was removed. And it also had farm tags in it, but they weren't official. And they were also removed. And they were not able to trace that animal, individual animal back to the farm of origin. And because it came from a feedlot, and it had been mixed with a lot of other animals, they were able to narrow it down to 99 premises in five states. All of those 99 premises had to go under quarantine and go through a series of negative test results for tuberculosis before those farms could be cleared. And that means that animals can only go to slaughter from those facilities. So you can imagine the economic impact. So if we can limit the number of animals or the number of farms that have to go under quarantine, through having an official individual ID, then it's really going to be a huge benefit, not only to the producer, but to the animals themselves. So that's, that's what we're kind of looking at when we think of traceability and individual official ID for tracing back for uh, disease containment. Yeah, that's incredibly important not to have to quarantine for that long. That's a huge deal to producers. So I'm glad you talked to us a little bit about what that means. Um, Robbie, we're going to move back to you on brand inspections a little bit. So when we're looking at getting a brand inspection, can you give us a brief overview of what a brand inspection might cost? So yes, Natasha, you can go to our website at agr.wa.gov and you'll find all of the livestock inspection fees that we have here in the, in the department. So in general, um, we charge $1.21 per head for an animal that we consider identified. And that's a category that we give to cattle that are branded with the owner's brand or they possess an official 840 series RFID tag. So we consider those animals identified. And then for cattle that are not identified, you would have a $4 fee. And that not identified means they're either not have a brand at all or they're branded with someone else's brand. Uh, and then, of course, those cattle, of course, like I said before, they are $4 uh, per head for the inspection fee. We also charge a $20 call-out fee per trip for our inspection services. And then the other things to point out is we do offer 
annual inspections and lifetime inspections. So our annual inspection fee is $22 per head and our lifetime inspection fee is $63 per head plus that call out fee. And then the other, it's important to note that our inspectors, we have uh, agreements with the Washington State Beef Commission and the Animal Disease Traceability Program, Amber, Dr. Idle's program. Our inspectors collect the beef checkoff fees and the animal disease traceability fees on those inspections where applicable. That's some uh, really important information for people, and they can see all of those numbers on that website you mentioned. I will make sure to post that uh, with all of our resources so they can find that there. I know that you also had mentioned that you guys are a fee-for-service program. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? Yes, it's great that you asked that. And so our we do not receive any state general fund money or federal money uh, for to support our program. Our our funding comes entirely from the fees uh, that we collect out in the <clears throat> out in the field, and then also our brand recording uh, money that supports our program. Our salaries and benefits, um, our travel costs, everything is all wrapped up into a, a local fund. And so, yeah, our, our fees are what they are to support our our program. Yeah, the fees keep that program possible, so they're important to pay. So when a producer is ready to get a brand inspection, how would they go about getting one? So there's really three easy ways to do it. Uh, Again, you can go to our website at agr.wa.gov, and it'll show you the three different options. But in a nutshell, you can contact one of our WSDA brand inspectors. They're spread throughout the state. Uh, please, you know, we ask you to give us about three to five days notice and they can come out and do an inspection for you. Uh, the second way, as I mentioned previously, you know, you can contact a certified veterinarian or a private field livestock inspector and they can come out and do an inspection for you. And again, those uh, we've divided the state into six regions. And if you go onto our website, you know, the user can click on whatever region they are in and they'll find a listing of all those certified inspectors that can do inspections for them. I also want to point out that, you know, using a certified veterinarian or a private field inspector may cost you a little more. Those inspectors are required to submit the minimum fees back to the department, and they are also uh, allowed to charge above and beyond the, the minimum fees in order to offset their own costs. So it's a good option for producers uh, if they uh, cannot find a brand inspector who's available um, and they need an inspection right away, they can they can contact one of those individuals. And the third option I'm really excited to, to uh, announce is our electronic uh, cattle transaction reporting system. We call it ECTOR for short. So the, the ECTOR system is actually an online system. So users can register for an account. The one caveat is, is they have to have cattle that use the official 840 series RFID tags. So if you're a cattle producer and you have 840 tags in your cows, you can create an account online and it's a $33 annual fee and you can create change of ownership or out-of-state movement certificates for your cows. You just have to upload all of the cattle information. You know, you have uh, sex, color, breed, and you can also upload your brand information and then upload the RFID tag number. You create that certificate, you pay the appropriate fees, and you can print that certificate out, and it is a legal 
Washington State uh, Livestock Inspection Certificate that you can give uh, to your new buyer, or you can have that with you when you move across state lines. So this is a program that's been in effect now for a little over a year. We enacted it uh, November of 19, and we've had some really good feedback from our producers who are using it. They really like the convenience of being able to you know, create a change of ownership certificate or an out-of-state movement certificate according to their own schedule. You know, they don't have to pay a brand inspector to come out and they don't, they're not charged that call-out fee. So this is a really good option for some producers who, who like that flexibility of being able to do it on their own schedule. And then just the fee, fee per head of those animals is just $1.30 compared to like $1.21. So it is a little bit more expensive to use like nine cents per head per animal, but a lot of people enjoy the convenience of that. Yeah, it's great to have some more options available for producers. And if that's what they prefer, it's nice that they have that available. So I know one of the things that I'm always answering questions about with my youth producers or trying to get information out there about is the types of documents that you need when you get a brand inspection so that they're prepared when their brand inspector shows up. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that we're covering this topic because I get questions all the time uh, from customers as well as what do I need in order to get the brand inspection? So first and foremost, whenever we do a brand inspection for you, you know, you have to prove ownership of that animal before we can write you the inspection certificate. So the first way is, of course, if you have, if you own a recorded brand in Washington state and you brand your animal with that brand, that is considered what's called prima facie evidence of legal title of that animal. You own the brand, you brand your animal, that's all the documentation you need to show that you own that animal. Now, when you sell that animal, um, the next person who's going to get it is going to get a brand inspection certificate. And that document is going to show that they have legal title to the animal. So beyond owning a recorded brand and then branding your own animals with it, the second form of proof of ownership is, of course, an original Washington State brand certificate. And that's something that can be issued by any one of our inspectors, or it could be an Ector certificate, or it could be a certificate issued by the certified veterinarians or private field livestock inspectors. We also, you know, the second uh, document we would accept would be an original brand inspection certificate from a state that has a livestock inspection program. So, for example, there are 17 uh, states in the western U.S. that have an active livestock inspection program, in addition to all of the Canadian provinces have an active livestock inspection program. So we accept documents from Oregon, Idaho, Montana, all of the 17 Western states that have a livestock inspection program. We honor those documents. And then if you have registered or purebred livestock, a copy of the registration paperwork will suffice as proof of ownership for that animal. The one caveat being that uh, as long as the brand on the animal is not recorded in Washington state, then that uh, registration paperwork will work for you. And then, of course, sometimes we have animals that come from the eastern United States. And a lot of, a lot of states in the eastern U.S., they do not have an active uh, brand inspection program. So we will accept health certificates or certified veterinary inspections documents uh, from states that do not have a brand inspection program, as long as the animal information on the certificate and the owner's name on the certificate matches uh, 
the person that we're doing the inspection for, we will honor those uh, health certificates. And then the last thing I want to point out, and, and I mentioned this before about the changes in horse inspections versus cattle inspections. For horses, and this is for horses only, we will accept a original bill of sale from the previous owner for to prove documentation that they own the horse. So the you know original bill of sale from the previous owner will work for horses. The other thing I wanted to mention to the to the audience was that you know when you bring your animals to a public livestock market or a special sale or a receiving station, you know whenever you're transporting animals inside of Washington State. You're required to have uh, what we commonly call a haul slip. It's actually, you know, uh, this title is a certificate of permit. And you can buy these certificates of permit um, at any one of your public livestock markets. You can order them from our office here in Olympia. It's just $5 for a book of 25 permits. And you're supposed to have those with you when you're transporting livestock in the, in the state. Anytime you transport livestock, regardless of where you're going, that's a huge thing. And that's one that I think uh, people oftentimes forget. And that's, I think, the biggest one that I'm always reminding our youth producers of before they transport their animals. So thank you so much for clarifying those needs. Those are really important uh, things for our producers to know and people who are interested in starting to know so that they are doing things legally and that brand inspection goes as smoothly as possible for them. So I have one last question for both of you. Do you guys have any other resources or websites you'd like to mention before we sign off for the day? I do. (laughs) I had a feeling you would. (laughs) Of course I do. (laughs) Well, I can't emphasize this enough. I think it's really important to refer to credible sources. So if if the listeners today get nothing out of this whole entire talk, remember that credible sources for information are really important. The only way that I think you should use Google isn't for Dr. Google, but it's to Google words like WSDA Animal Health or interstatelivestock.com or something that's credible or WSU Extension or reaching (laughs) out to your private field, your private veterinarian or one of our WSDA field veterinarians so that you can get credible information, you know, on things like diseases or feeding or fencing or shelter or vaccinations, even daily care, or, you know, reaching out or, or knowing those resources to reach out to get a hold of Robbie or, or Brennan in the brand program who can help you answer those questions. And just remember that just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's good advice. Uh, so I would encourage you to go to our website and sign up for our animal health listserv and also read our quarterly newsletters that we put together that are a little bit more veterinary oriented, but there's lots of great information and resources in there. And I encourage you to stay connected with us. That is some really good advice. And I love your animal list, animal health listserv personally. I love seeing all the stuff that comes out of there. It's so helpful. So I encourage everyone to sign up for that and get those emails. And of course, we will post everything she mentioned in our show notes. So you guys have access to all of those resources. And I just want to thank you both so much for being with us today, Dr. Idol and Robbie. You both were great. This is some really important information. And I'm sure our listeners are very appreciative for you guys to come on and and provide that for them. So thank you both. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Natasha. This was wonderful. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock podcast brought to you by Washington State University Extension. 
You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coogs Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at CoogsTalkStock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.